Our scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 1. Okay. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. Peace be with you. Really good to see you, especially if this is your first time. We are really glad you are are with us. This is the start of our fall ministry season and the start of a new series today, so it's a great time to be joining us. Uh, I know some of you may be a little bit too young for this, but I wonder if a few of you might remember these really popular bracelets that had WWJD on them uh, a few years ago. Uh, It was probably mid to late 90s when these things were just all the rage. So it was like a youth group kind of thing, Um, but it's a black bracelet that says WWJD. What would Jesus do? And so the idea is you keep this thing on your wrist, and then a major life decision would come up, like somebody on the school bus asks you to do drugs. And then you look down, you're like, WWJD, Jesus would not do drugs, say no to drugs. It was that simple. Uh, even as a, as a kid, though, when I saw this, I, you know, I was a really serious young kid, and I'm thinking, I don't, I, I don't always know what Jesus would do. You know, when you look at the scriptures, there are times when Jesus is so gentle and, and mild and compassionate, and other times when he is flipping over tables in the temple. His own disciples didn't always know what he would do. How are we as like teenagers trying to, you know, figure out who to take to prom or whether or not to take AP chemistry, how, how are we supposed to know what Jesus would do in these situations? And so I was kind of against it, never wore one. Uh, of course, as, as adults, it gets a lot harder. Life gets more complicated, not less. 
we find ourselves with decisions where there really isn't a right or wrong choice, where between two choices or more than two choices as something that might affect the course of our lives, and yet there's not a clear right or wrong thing to do. So whether it's what to study in school or what kind of job to take or how long to stay in a job or who to date or whether or not to get married, who to spend your time with, what to do with your resources and energy, all of these things, often there's no right or wrong, like sinful or not sinful answer. What we need is wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to to choose in, in one of the gray areas of life. And so the Bible is full of wisdom, but there are books that are specifically considered wisdom literature. And so the Proverbs are the best example of this. It's all wisdom for life. Now, if you you don't know, the New Testament has one wisdom book itself, and that's the book of James. James is the New Testament wisdom book. And James is a a, a really serious book, and and what I would suggest is that James is maybe the best insight into the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ. Now, if you say, well, why is that? Why is James such an insight into Jesus' life? And it's because James is the brother of Jesus. He's Jesus' younger brother. Mary and Joseph were his parents. And so James had spent his entire life growing up with Jesus as his older brother. Similarly, James, it's, it's the first New Testament book written, somewhere between 7 and 12 years after the resurrection and Jesus' ascension back into heaven, James is written. And so this is really, really early in the church's history, and he has such an intimate knowledge of who Jesus was and how he lived and what he taught. And then lastly, James is the most practical book of the New Testament. It doesn't introduce a whole lot of new theology or new terms into the Christian mind, but rather it it introduces how we ought to live. It's, It's Christian ethics. What do we do in these situations? And so we're starting a new series this morning, about nine weeks in the book of James, and we're calling it True Religion, Mercy, Justice, and the People of God. And so the background of James is is really simple. He is writing to a, a group of Christians who are suffering. A group of Christians who are going through the hardest thing in their lives that they've ever been through. As soon as they put their faith in Christ, they began to be persecuted. These believers, just years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, now they are being arrested. They're being sought after. They're being hunted. They've often lost jobs. They've been kicked out of their homes. Some of them have been put to death for their faith. And so it's in the midst of all this that James is writing a letter to encourage these new believers in their suffering. And so I think there's some stuff we can relate to as we are now roughly six months into this COVID shutdown season. It's been a, it's been a hard time, I think, for, for all of us. And it's tempting to say, well, maybe we're not suffering on, on the level that the early church was suffering under persecution. But in general, comparing our suffering to that of others is really not that helpful. Minimizing our suffering is not always the right way to try to put it into context. Instead, we can, we can acknowledge that this has been a really difficult season, that a lot of us are suffering. People all over our city are suffering, and we need the wisdom of God. And so James is, is not a, a lighthearted, uh, inspirational-only book. It's, it's not Barnes & Noble Christianity, right? You're like, whoa, what's wrong with Barnes & Noble? Mainly it's the beige. Everything is beige. I don't know why everybody went beige like 20 or 30 years ago. But James is not just like, here's how to get a little bit better in your life. Here's how to change your character just a little bit. 
No, James is writing into real life situations, real suffering. It's, it's persecution in the fight for joy. It's desire and longing, both holy and unholy. It's racial tension and prejudice. It's poverty and it's wealth. There's conflict in the family among the brothers and sisters. There's sickness and death in praying for healing and life. James is about action, not talk. It's about so much compassion and mercy that reasonable people think that he's taking it too far. It's about wisdom, not a disconnected ivory tower kind of philosophy, but real life, gritty, everyday wisdom. Most importantly, it's how to live. Now that we're in Christ together, how do we live in a broken and unjust world? And so today's message, first 18 verses, what do we do when the Christian life gets hard, when injustice reigns, when sin abounds? There's three things we're going to look at. First of all, we need a new perspective. Second, we need new virtues. And third, we need the new family. And so let's start with a new perspective. As I said, James is writing to Christians who are going through some of the hardest things they've been through. And he doesn't have to say that, he doesn't have to explain that in their lives they might face suffering, but he's writing so into the context of suffering that right out of the gate, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. He doesn't say if you face trials, if in this world you might come upon some troubles. He says, when you suffer, when you face trials and troubles of all kinds. See, I think our our culture has very little vocabulary for suffering. We don't have a great understanding of what suffering contributes to us as human beings. We often don't know what to do in suffering except for try to escape it as fast as we can. And yet it's one of the major themes of Christianity. In fact, in this section of the New Testament, it's Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, and all four of those books have suffering as their theme. And so James is setting the theme for the book. It's joy in suffering together. Joy through suffering, not around it, but through the suffering And so again, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, true religion is, as James puts it later in the chapter, it's not going around suffering, it's not escaping suffering, it's actually going to where the most suffering is. It's caring for orphans and widows in their distress. James is acknowledging the brokenness and the suffering of our world, and he's actually asking us to step more fully into what's broken. True religion is the way of Jesus. It's joy through suffering. And so the new perspective that we need, notice how James says it. He says, consider it pure joy. He's not just saying be happy. He's not just saying your life is pretty good, so try to look on the bright side. He knows that the initial emotion in times of hardship and suffering is going to be, it's going to be anger. It's going to be sorrow. We're going to have negative emotions immediately. And so James is saying, consider it joy. It may not come naturally, but consider it joy when you face these sufferings because you know that it will bring perseverance. 
What he's saying is that suffering equips you for life in Christ. Suffering enables you to become a more mature, more complete person that you could be without it. Suffering equips you to be a better person, a better friend, a better spouse, a better parent. It it helps you be a better employee, a better church member. Suffering literally makes you better at everything because it moves us towards completion. According to the Scripture, suffering is an essential means of our spiritual growth. And at some point in our spiritual life, suffering becomes the primary way that we grow spiritually. One author's word for it is that it turbocharges ordinary Christian growth. Which maybe is is not what you want to hear all the time, that it might take suffering to move you closer to the Lord and move you to maturity. But suffering is the furnace that turns you to gold, that melts away the impurities and, and the lower quality characteristics. It separates the good from the bad. Suffering fortifies us. I was talking to a, a young man earlier this week, and he was describing that his whole uh, awareness of Christianity was that it was a means of escaping suffering. And, and he began to realize as he entered into adulthood that there's, there's really no possibility to escape suffering in this world, and that that's not the vision of New Testament Christianity anyways. And so we talked about the Apostle Paul who who poured out his heart before God, relentlessly praying for suffering to be removed from his life, this thorn in his flesh. And God says that I have grace for you that I can't get into your life any other way. There's grace that I want to work into your life. And the only way I can do it is through this suffering. Now, how would we know this is true? Again, I want to say, look at who is saying these things. This is James, the younger brother of Jesus. Imagine spending your entire childhood, your entire adolescence, your entire early adulthood with Jesus as your older brother. Like, there's a lot of jokes there, you know, like, uh, good luck winning at a board game, you know, when the Almighty's in your family, right? Like, just trying to say, like, hey, he hit me first. Mary's like, I don't think you realize the situation here. James' entire life was spent with Jesus. And so James, like Jesus, was raised in a poor, working-class, single-parent home in a rural, uneducated town. James, like Jesus, saw pure religion as the care for the poor and the widowed because his whole family was poor and because his mother was a widow, assuming that Joseph passed away since he's not mentioned later beyond Jesus' childhood in the Gospels. His whole life was poverty, and yet James knew the way of Jesus. He understood pain and suffering, and and he followed Jesus' pattern of saying that what you really need in life is two things. It's love for God and love for others. All of James boils down to loving God and loving others. James had this new perspective. He had found a way to consider it joy when he was facing all of this suffering. And so this new perspective gets you on the way, but the second thing that you need is new virtues. To back up to verse 3 again, because it's so important, the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I would define perseverance as patience in trials and suffering. Perseverance is is a form of, of patience, but it's in the times of suffering and in the times of hardship. 
And patience, as you've probably experienced, is not the most natural virtue. If you think about a child, a child can be kind and loving right from the beginning. Children are often compassionate towards those who are struggling or who don't fit in. Children have all these wonderful characteristics right from the start, but on the scale of patience, they're like a zero, right? As a baby, as an infant, as as a toddler, in, in early life, children have to be taught patience, deferred gratification. It doesn't come naturally, and even to us as adults, it still does not come naturally. We can only become patient by being in situations that demand patience. And so perseverance, what James is describing here is a perseverance that's given by the Holy Spirit in suffering over long periods of time. Now in verse 13, we see that if we do not become patient, without this perseverance, if we follow only our natural desires, we'll never survive in suffering. We'll we'll fall apart in suffering. James writes, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, I think these are some really important few verses for us to understand the nature of of who we are and how we're wired. Human beings are passionate creatures. We are are heart-led creatures. We, We make our decisions even not so much by our minds, but by our hearts. What we want drives us far more than what we think. And so if our desires begin to to bend towards evil or or simply towards impatience, you know, comfort now, freedom now, control now, if we follow these desires, James is saying we will be led astray. It's interesting, James uses the picture of adultery. If you follow your natural desires, that desire will conceive and give birth to essentially a sin baby. Like your, your desires will lead to this sin baby. And then when that sin baby grows up, it says when it is full grown, it will kill you. Which is kind of a funny illustration for James to use in this situation. And so I think if you look at some of the dominant messages in our culture, including be true to yourself. We see that that doesn't really fit in to the model that the scriptures is teaching here. Because if you're only true to yourself, if you're only going along with your own desires, James is saying you're going to be led astray. Your desires will mislead you. Your desires won't lead you to patience and perseverance. Now you might say, is that because we're so broken and evil? And I'd say, no, it's because we're subtly broken and evil. We're, we're all affected by the curse of, of sin and death. And so within us, there is always potential for wrongdoing. And it's so subtle often in our lives, but we cannot always trust our hearts, cannot always trust our emotions. And so if the goal is to be true to ourselves as a guiding principle, we'll be crushed by the weight of our own brokenness. Now, James gets even more specific when he's talking about this new virtue. He says, verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. 
Now, we'll see over and over that James has some hard words for the Western church. He's saying, if you are poor, if you're needy, if you're marginalized, be glad because so was Jesus in his time on earth. And yet if you're comfortable, if you're in control of your life, also be glad because you're about to be humiliated, brought low in James's words. Now, I admit, when I'm reading the scriptures, I, I don't really identify with the rich and with the wealthy. When I look at the rich young ruler or the, the, the prejudiced man in, in James 1 and 2, I, I don't align myself with them mentally. And so I have to remember that, that I'm living in the midst of a culture that's far more affluent than anything that's ever come before it. Relatively speaking, I am incredibly wealthy, especially compared to, to first century Palestine. I have comforts, I have control that they had no access to. And so maybe you feel the same way, even if you feel underpaid or you feel like you can't possibly save up enough for retirement. You feel like you certainly aren't wealthy. I would say consider the fact that you might be further along than you think and take heed to James's warnings and to Jesus's warnings. Be careful, he's saying, because comfort and control in this life will not lead you to maturity. Be patient, he's saying. Don't concern yourself with a high position in this life. Instead, verse 12 is my favorite verse of this passage. We have this promise, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so perseverance is only possible when, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, when we are looking forward to the promises that he has made to us, that eternal life awaits us, that our, our perseverance is not in vain, but that our patience is, is leaning towards this eternity. And so the first virtue is perseverance. The second is wisdom. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So this is an incredible promise. If you lack wisdom, ask God. If there's anything you need in, in terms of wisdom, in terms of understanding the gray areas of your life, simply ask God who desires to give it to you. And what James is talking about in particular is wisdom in suffering. The decisions that we, we have to make, the, the postures that we have to take in times of hardship and suffering. And what he's calling us to is wisdom with faith. He's saying, believe, don't doubt, because if you doubt, you, you'll be blown off course. The, the illustration that James is using here is the illustration of an anchor. And so if you're out fishing in the lake, as, as many of James's contemporaries would have been doing every day, it's, it's your anchor that the only thing that's going to hold you in place, especially when a storm comes. And so he's saying wisdom with faith in God is the anchor that keeps us steady when the storms of life come. If anything other than Christ is your anchor, if anything other than wisdom is connecting you to that anchor, you're going to be blown all over the place as soon as the first storm 
comes. See, it's suffering that shows us where our hope really is, who we're really trusting, what we really need in life, and what we can actually do without. It won't stop the storm from raging, but it'll keep us steady in all those times. And so as we look at this, as we look at perseverance, as we look at wisdom, we begin to see that they're almost like two halves of the same virtue. Patience, trusting the Lord, having faith in this eternal life that's been promised to us. What I love is that James grounds all of these virtues in God himself. Verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's saying we can find perseverance in suffering. We can find wisdom with faith in God, in his character, in his nature. We can put our faith in him and and not be concerned because he's true, because he doesn't change. No matter what's going on in our lives, he is the same. He is stable. His love is forever. And so we need a new perspective to to consider it joy, and we need new virtues, perseverance, and wisdom. But the last thing that we need is the new family, the people of God. One of the big mega themes of the book of James that we'll see in every single passage is community. That James is writing to this, this new people of God, a new family of brothers and sisters in Christ. We see it a few times just in our passage In the introduction, he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, which for a a Jewish background culture would have been a clear reference to family, the, the 12 sons of Israel. James is calling them the new 12 sons, the the brothers and sisters together, the sons and daughters of God. They are one big family. Even though they're they're exiled over all these countries, they're still one family held together by God. And then twice in our passage, once at the beginning and once at the very end, James calls them, my dear brothers and sisters. He knows these believers. He he loves them. They're not just family. They're they're his family. And James was writing in, and he was writing into a a, a community, a, a culture that was far more communal than ours. I think every one of us reads the Bible far more individualistically because of the culture that surrounds us. But even though James was writing into a communal culture, he's still calling people to suffer together. It's so important for us to hear this, and even James has to say it to these folks, because our whole tendency in suffering is to withdraw. You ever notice that about yourself? As soon as something gets difficult, we want to shut down, we want to turn inward. If we lose a job, we might not want anybody to know. We might not want to see our old coworkers. If we're struggling in our health, if a relationship falls apart, we might be hesitant to let somebody know about that. Maybe you, you shared something in your community group a couple weeks ago, something you're really struggling with, and you're struggling with it just as much today, if not more than you were two weeks ago. But you think, man, I can't share that again. I need something... I need some good news. I need something uplifting. I don't want to be the needy person here. Our whole tendency is to turn inward, to to self-isolate in times of suffering. 
And what James is saying is the last thing we need to suffer well together is the together part. We need the new family of God. And again, he has seen this in the life and in the way of Jesus. He sees the way Jesus has invested his lives and his family and his disciples and those who followed him. And he probably understands from his own life the ability to withdraw. But having fixed his eyes on Jesus, having, having changed his perspective to the perspective of Jesus, he can see the power of life with Christ and the power of life with one another. See, it's Christ is the only one who can reset our perspective. It's the only way that we can consider it joy in the midst of trials and suffering. It's Christ alone who, through his Holy Spirit, offers these new virtues. There's no way to become persevering and wise in the sense that James is talking about, apart from the gift of Christ himself. And it's Christ who has initiated this new family, this kingdom of light, who's fought for it, who's laid down his life for it, who, who even entered into death for it, to, to conquer death from within so that we might be called the family of God. Blessed is the one who perseveres. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We can persevere. We can have, we can have hope that we might persevere in suffering only because Jesus has first done so. Only because he has first stood the test. He has passed the test himself. And he went all the way to the cross, bearing our shame and our brokenness, our sin on that cross, so that we might have any hope of becoming like him. That's how we receive the crown of eternal life. And so it's now through Jesus' resurrection, through the Holy Spirit, that we are brought into this new family where we can actually have hope in suffering, in trials, in the midst of the injustice of the world and the brokenness that's all around us. We can have hope as true brothers and sisters in Christ, the new family of God. Let's pray.